You're listening to the Bourbon and Balance Podcast, where we discuss fitness and the finer things in life with people who find balance between both. This week, we interviewed Jordan Syatt, Instagram influencer or anti-influencer, as we talk about in this episode. Uh, we talk about nutrition, his background, wrestling, jujitsu, and some of our vices that we both share and don't share between the two of us or three of us. If you are finding value within the content that you're listening to uh, or any previous episodes that you've listened to, please like, share, and subscribe. Um, And thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bourbon and Balance podcast. We have a very special guest on. I'm sitting literally next to Tully this week. Um, I'm not drinking anything alcoholic. I'm, in fact, just drinking coffee. It would be rather, um, you know. Inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, probably inappropriate. It's like 3 o'clock on a Thursday. Yes. Um, but we have Jordan Syatt on. Uh, thank you again. We were just talking, but thank you again for coming on and, and joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm stoked. Um, we have very many questions, uh, but at the same time, we also just want to kind of get to know you on a personal level and kind of understand how you got to where you are now um, through kind of the experiences that you have, um, you know, that you've had as a trainer and as a nutrition coach for the past you know, 15 years or something. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, and well, before we get started, yeah. congrats on your engagement. Thank Heck you. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty recent, right? Yeah, right in July or end of June. She would kill me if I didn't know. I literally followed your stories like that day. Oh, really? Uh, That's awesome. You're like, she has no idea. I'm going to do it now. But then (laughs) it was a climax and then I didn't get to see any of it happen. (laughs) I know. To the fact that she was like, she said yes. (laughs) I had to decide if I was going to get pictures or if I was going to get video. And sure. so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go with the pictures because videos like are always sort of anticlimactic anyway, be- unless you have great music behind it, right? Sure. It's like, if you have sure. great music, cool. But like, if it's just a video of me and like, it's like, you hear the trucks going by in New York and someone right. beeping, like, it's not like that great, but the pictures are good. So yeah, yeah. It, it that's awesome. what I was going to say. Doing that in New York is a bold move. Cause you, you could totally get somebody going by like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Like, get out of the Whoa. Whenever I watch uh, Dave Portnoy's like pizza reviews, oh, yeah. are always wild in New York because people they will say anything. The they don't care. Oh, yeah. I feel like in people New in New York have got to be really like desensitized to cameras and like people doing that kind of stuff on the street. When I first started filming YouTube videos in New York, I had a huge uh, hump to get over. I vividly remember right actually where close to where I proposed when I first moved to New York because that was where my first apartment was. I vividly remember trying to film a YouTube video. And constantly trucks going by, people screaming, and finally it like gets quiet. I'm like, all right, we can start going. And as soon as we start filming, someone starts like drilling into the concrete, like, (laughs) and I was like, what is going on? And so finally I was like, you know what? Like I just have to be able to film a video with unbelievable amounts of noise around me. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's really, really difficult. That's like the most New York thing I've ever heard of. That sounds like something out of a movie. Like Seinfeld or something. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, like in Grand Rapids, if we were filming something on the sidewalk, people would like duck out of yeah. the way. <laughs> oh, like, so sorry. Yeah, they would just like, get, get out of the way. way of the camera. Oh, in New York, it's the opposite. They will do anything to get in the camera. Yeah, they'll they'll sure. go behind and be like, yo, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into it. Um, I, I want to understand kind of your background coming out of, I guess, 
maybe just like growing up, what sports did you play? What got you into the, the health and wellness field or kind of like direction? Um, and then we can kind of branch off from there. Yeah. So um, basically, I got into wrestling when I was eight years old. Uh, my older brother was he got picked on a little bit he was about three years older than me and you know we're both short like we're not big intimidating dudes we're small and so my mom was like all right I want you guys to know how to defend yourselves so I'm going to put you in in wrestling and at eight years old the only wrestling that I knew of was WWE style wrestling so I remember just being like you want me there's other wrestling (laughs) 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 I was surprised I was like you want me to hit someone with a chair and she's like, (laughs) like Olympic style wrestling so I was like all right cool So I didn't know what it was, but we went and I fell in love with it. Like absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, Did it all the time. I also did baseball and soccer, but wrestling was my favorite sport. So when I got to high school, I beat a a junior out for the varsity spot. Uh, But I had to cut from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week, multiple times a week, whenever we were weighing in. And I didn't have the knowledge that I have now about nutrition or cutting weight or anything. So I was just doing the stupid stuff. Like, yeah, I'm just not going to eat for three days straight and also wrestling practice for two hours a day. And also I'm going to go in the sauna and go in the hot tub and sweat out. Like just stupid, 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 stupid stuff. That's always one of the worst cuts as well. Like on our team, one of my good friends was our one, all three pounder and we had the fat man award on our team. So when we went to the, the banquet at the end of the season, they would weigh us in and whoever weighed the most <laughs> from what they actually wrestled at got a giant basket full like Twinkies and stuff. And so I remember my junior, our 103 pounder weighed in at like 159 oh or something God. insane like that. And I think he weighs, if Alex Blackwell is listening to this, I bet he weighs probably like 170, 175 now as a grown oh man. Oh my God. It was like, painful to watch him cut you know because we'd he'd cut all week and then we'd like go to burger king on tuesday night after the weigh-in and eat like a quad stacker and a milkshake it was like the the worst possible way you can think of dieting is how 103 pound wrestlers do it that's a hundred percent and what you just described is it's exactly what i would do is where i would starve myself and then i would weigh in and then after the competition or weigh-in i would just go and binge eat but when you see all the other wrestlers doing it and you're a kid, you don't realize anything's wrong with it. No, it's normalized. You, we're all, except for like the heavyweights, like everyone is basically binging and restricting, binging and restricting. Mm-hmm. We're all yeah. doing it as a team. So it's like, cool, this is just what we do. Um, so I was, I was wrestling varsity. I was in love with it. That's all I was doing. And But the issue was as a freshman, I was 13, 14 years old, and most of the people in varsity were juniors and seniors. So I, I didn't have enough strength to go up against them. I'd already been wrestling for a number of years, but my strength was nowhere near where it needed to be. So, uh, I applied to a gym near my, near my town, basically just being like, Hey, you know, can I come and take the trash out and clean the floors? I just want to learn how to get stronger. And the first gym that I applied to, they're like, no, like we don't want high school kids walking around the gym. So I applied to a second gym and this was a very kettlebell focused gym. And they took Mm -hmm. me under their wing. Um, very fortunately, they took me under their wing, but equally, if not more fortunately, they were very science-based, very science-based. They wow. were huge into uh, like Pavel Tsatsouline, Dan John, Eric Cressy. They introduced me to the science-based world, and I worked there from when I was 14 all the way through high school, and that's where I started coaching people. I first yeah. was an intern, just cleaning the yoga mats and doing all that, all that stuff, like paperwork, and then I slowly started coaching the warm up and group classes. And then I went from that to coaching the whole class. And then I went from that to actually coaching people one-on-one through. So all through high school, I was 
wrestling and coaching there. And I was like, this is all I want to do. Yeah, and that's man. when I fell in love with coaching. And that's how I got in the industry. Right. It's a, and what an interesting gym. I mean, I don't think I saw a kettlebell for the first time until like 2012, no. maybe here in, in Michigan. Yeah, I so probably, yeah, like the first CrossFit gym that I entered was probably the first time I saw it. Well, I guess like kettlebells outside of a CrossFit gym or outside of like a, a gym like that were always like pink and four pounds and <laughs> like women in the corner of like lifestyle or uh, lifetime fitness would be like swinging them or something. And I was, I was kind of I was like, oh, I'll never touch One of my wrestling coaches, he was big into Eastern European training methods. He was like huge into it. And uh, he would bring kettlebells to wrestling practice. And we would, and I had no idea how to use them. But when I saw that there, it was called Punch Kettlebell Gym. I saw that it was a kettlebell gym. I was like, oh, I want to learn more about this stuff because my wrestling coach swears by kettlebells. Sure. And so that was, that was, I think, right when CrossFit was really getting started. Like right yeah. when CrossFit started to blow up and like yeah. you went into a regular gym, there were not kettlebells. Like there were, they just weren't around. So right. I think it was right around that time. And I was just in the right place at the right time with the right people. Yeah, around. no kidding. It seemed like the dominoes fell in place for you. Yeah. Um, like spot on, especially to, to be brought up in an, like science space is always the best way to go. Like you hate to be, uh, directed by, you know, like biased beliefs or practices and whatnot. But when things are science-based, it's hard to argue. So that's, uh, that's awesome that you started in that, that realm in the first place. So during that whole time, then as you start coaching and as you, you know, you start gaining clients and stuff, when did your nutrition change from, from binging and, uh, and cutting to then, you know, kind of focusing more on, uh, like a balanced diet or a, a balanced approach to it? So I didn't even realize anything was wrong with my nutrition until I went to college because mm -hmm. I was wrestling all through high school and that's basically what all the wrestlers did. And yeah. I like, I knew that I didn't, that I, I had some uncomfortable feelings around food and I couldn't really fully go out with my like other friends or my family, like, but it wasn't something that stood out to me as anything that was wrong. Cause when you're in high school, it's like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an Olympic wrestler. And like, this is just what I do. And da da da. da. Meanwhile, I was nowhere near good enough to be like, like that. <laughs> but that's just in my hey, mind. We all, we all have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, when I went to college and I couldn't go to the dining hall because I was anxious about eating with people oh, there. Wow. Like that's when I was like, Oh, this isn't all right. And I spoke to my friend, David, who I wrestled with since I was in eighth grade and he was having the same issues. And we were on the phone talking about how we were both struggling with binge eating. He was living in New York. I was in, uh, I was even to the university of Delaware and he would tell me how like he would literally at like 10, 11 midnight, he would go to the local store and he'd get like a whole bag of bagels and just eat them on the train. So he wouldn't be in his tiny apartment. Yeah. And I would tell him how, like, when everyone would go to the dining hall, like, I would then go to the store, I'd get a bunch of food and eat it in my dorm when no one was there. And we were starting to figure out, like, this isn't all right. Like, this, right. we were having a serious issue. Right. Okay. Um, what I found out was so, my, my senior year of high school wrestling, my coach introduced me to intermittent fasting. And he introduced me to this method called the Warrior Diet, written by Ori Hoffmeckler. And basically, it's 20 hours fasting, four hours eating every Oof. day which is just like, Oof. you don't have binge eating and you want to try to get binge eating disorder, do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That's a full, you have four hours to eat 2,500 yeah. calories. Go yeah, four so hours. Dive like, into it. And, uh, and so I did intermittent fasting from senior year in high school all the way through freshman year in college. And I remember I was back at my mom's apartment in Boston and I was just, I, 
my friends had asked me, they're like, do you want to go out to breakfast? And I was like, I gave him some like cockamamie excuse, like, no, like I can't or whatever. But the reality is I was fearful of going to breakfast. Like I was yeah. scared of it because I was like, if I have breakfast, then I'm not going to be fasted. And, and I remember in my head being like, this makes no sense. I was like, for years, people have eaten breakfast and they've been able to be lean and strong and all this stuff. I was like, why am I scared of having breakfast? Mm-hmm. So I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, starting tomorrow, you're eating breakfast every single day. Like that, and that was it. That was the rule I made with myself. Mm-hmm. And from the moment that I started eating breakfast from that day, I haven't been since. And it's about like a decade, almost 10 years ago. Wow. Um, and so that was literally it because what would happen is I would not eat breakfast, not eat lunch and save all my calories for dinner because I would get anxiety about going to bed hungry. Yeah. But when I started eating breakfast and eating lunch, it was, it was sort of counterintuitive, but that anxiety went away because I wasn't starving myself all day. Right. Man, that's interesting. I, I, I would imagine we, we had actually a, a female on, uh, maybe 10 or 15 episodes ago, who now travels across the States and, and gives talks about athletes that deal with, uh, with eating disorders and whatnot. But man, like wrestling in itself and really Olympic weightlifting, kind yeah. of our world. Any weight cutting sport. Has to just, you know, like produce so much of that. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they're in that industry is if there is enough proactive approach or you know, or, or teaching available or resources available to like steer away from that type of pattern from, from reoccurring. And maybe it's just because like when we grew, you know, 10 years ago in high school, like that was just what everybody did. And the science wasn't necessarily there. Um, or the data maybe wasn't necessarily there, but man, I, I don't know of anything like that. Yeah, like you guys know. come from the wrestling world. I was a hockey player, so I, I didn't have to really worry about weight. Um, but yeah. I, I would say it's pretty prevalent still because, they're at least in male athletes for sure, because there's such a stigma with like, you're a pussy. If you say that you might right. have an eating disorder. Yeah. So that's what I think male athletes, it's still a huge issue. I think our female athletes, the stigma is going away more. Yeah. And I think in general, it's going away more just with the knowledge that one, it's not as like, it's not as, I don't want to say as big of a deal, but it's not like, it's much more subtle than people think it is. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not like you see in a movie where this person is like emaciated <laughs> and they're like in a room yeah. that, that's painted black yeah. and like, all this <laughs> yeah. stuff. you know, like right. uh, it's, it is definitely. And like Jordan said, he probably never actually really thought about it that much until he got to college yeah. because he was just gradually, he was wrestling and he was just doing what everybody else was doing. So it, it just feels normal. It doesn't necessarily feel bad until you're out of that. Yeah, until world. you remove yourself from that. Or until you start having like an extended period of being like, whoa, like I'm not eating the way that I need to either fuel performance or the way that normal people do or whatever. So I, I think it's also, it's so funny as an adult, I think we tend to discount how smart kids are. Yeah. If a kid wants to trick you, they'll trick you. I mean, I I remember like my mom would get worried because she would be like, I don't see you ever eating. So then I would like specifically, I'd, I'd figure out ways to like maneuver food on my plate to make it look like I ate more than I actually did. And then I would like specifically wait until I saw her to put something in my mouth and eat so that she would like, okay, she'd be calm now. Oh, well look, I saw him eating something there. But then like, she didn't know that I chewed it and then spit it out in the trash can, Mm, whatever. You know, it's like, if kids don't want you to know, they're going to do a really good job. And it's hard, especially with something like this, like it's not, you can't just see it. It's, it's not visible on the outside. Sure. So, and not to mention, it's hard to make someone eat who doesn't want to eat. Yeah. No kidding. 
Yeah, you can't force that person to do it. Force them to eat. And right. so there, there's so many aspects and, and issues with this. But I will say, since I've spoken about it more, uh, and since I've gotten into jujitsu and I've been talking about it more, even like yesterday, I made a big post about how I cut weight for my jujitsu competition. Yeah. I've gotten so many messages from former wrestlers, current wrestlers, and jujitsu athletes who are like, man, I didn't know that what I'm going through is an actual issue. Like I didn't realize that it was an actual problem until you started talking about it. And I realized, Oh my God, like I have food anxiety. Oh my God. Like I won't go out to eat with my friends. Oh my God. Like I'm being super, super, super restrictive. So it's, I think it's very prevalent. It's just people are really good at hiding it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that like on our end, like the MHSAA does a good job of like before the season, they have to have somebody who's like a registered dietitian come to every high school team and give them a talk about like proper nutrition, Hmm. like behaviors. And on the college end, they're doing a much better job of doing the the alpha body fat testing and then having sports psychiatrists and, or psychologists and um, dietitians just make those college athletes more aware. And so I think in the wrestling world, for sure, it's becoming less and less of a prevalent thing. I think people understanding performance, nutrition, all those yeah, kinds and of things. coaching but, is changing too. Yeah. Like just like, you know, the health industry in general, everything's kind of going proactive and holistic and, you know, uh, I guess just like whole food based. So I would, I would assume that the resources are only increasing for students and, and whatnot. But speaking of, I guess, like along the lines of your diet, one thing that I find very interesting and not a lot of I don't want to call you an influencer because I, I don't know if you <laughs> like that, if that's something He's that the anti influencer. Yeah, no, no man. kidding. But like your transparency with that cut was awesome. Like you, I liked how there were so many times where just like even on your story, you would almost joke about, oh no, my weight went up. Like, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to make weight. <laughs> But in reality, like that's just the natural path of losing weight, right? Like right. we see those fluctuations day to day, every 12 hours even. So your transparency and all of that is, uh, I love A. Um, but have you ever had any like backlash on anything like that? Almost like talking, not like against the stigma, but you know, like these these fitness professionals on on Instagram and stuff are... I think you've probably talked about it quite a bit, but it's like eat this supplement or drink this tea and you will make this weight cut when in reality, like you're, you know, you're an open book when it comes to what you're eating, what type of, I guess, obstacles or backlash have you ever had from something like that? So at this point, I don't really get any backlash from people who are like, uh, Oh, you got to try these tummy wraps or like this supplement. Like I don't, cause I think those people know that it's nonsense and like yeah. those people, they, they're aware that they, they aren't educated. So like, they're not going to get in a debate with me about it. Sure. The, the issue, the backlash that I get is actually mainly from a lot of the body positive community hmm. uh, who says something like, uh, and I'm all for body positivity. I'm just not for, for lying and for me yeah, uh, right? like, I'll be honest, but I, and I think everyone, like you should work towards, having a healthy relationship with your body. But I think just saying, just love your body when someone doesn't love their body will do more harm than good. Yeah. It's like telling someone who's depressed to just, well, just love yourself. 
It's like, well, that's a really good idea. Just tell someone who's depressed to just love themselves. And now yeah. they love themselves. If it's like, oh, thanks. That kind of thing is like somebody being in a river and they're drowning and you're standing outside the river going, just, just swim yeah. over here. Just stop exactly drowning. Right. It's so I'm all for body positivity, but let's have a realistic perspective on how to get to a place in which you can have a good relationship with your body. So sure. one of the issues when people say like, Oh, you shouldn't be weighing yourself every day. You shouldn't be showing yourself weighing yourself every day. Like it's promoting disordered habits. I mean, actually I'm promoting a very healthy relationship with the scale because when you tell people that the scale is evil and you shouldn't weigh yourself because it's the scale, well, what are you doing? You're creating a fear around a fucking piece of plastic. Right. You're creating a fear around it. So you tell them not to weigh themselves that the scale is evil. Don't ever listen to it. What happens when they go to the doctor and the doctor says step on the scale? Like they're going to have a panic attack because of the fear you instilled within them. Right. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm like, listen, let's step on the scale every day without any emotion. You look at it, you see what you weigh and you move on. It right. doesn't make you happy when it goes down. doesn't make you upset when it goes up because you know it's just data. So I do get backlash on that front. It has been less and less over the past since I actually did the, the Big Mac challenge, which was just about mm-hmm. a year ago now. It's epic, by the way. Um, but, if uh, you guys, oh man, our listeners might not know. So can you talk about that Big Mac challenge really quick? Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's literally published, I think just about a year ago, um, for 30 days, I ate one Big Mac a day, every single day. And the whole purpose, it wasn't to say that Big Macs are healthy and it wasn't to say, I want people eating more McDonald's or fast food. The purpose was just to show people that you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and still lose weight and live a healthy life. And so for 30 days, I ate one Big Mac a day, every day. Well, eating my regular diet, I just added one Big Mac to it and managed my calories and I lost seven pounds. That's amazing. <laughs> Have you had a Big Mac since? Uh, I've had two Big Macs since. Yeah. Good for you. Wow, but nice. the, the thing I, I like more is the McGriddles. The McGriddles. Oh, <laughs> Get out, Get out of, of town. Amazing. Yeah. I, I would have made it a McGriddle challenge, but the Big Mac has just more notoriety in there. Uh, like, yeah. sure. That's my choice. That's something that we are, I mean, we constantly talk about food and vices and et cetera, et cetera on this show, but fast food is like for both of us is one of my favorite things in yeah. life. And the fact that you were able to pull that off and be like, look, <laughs> I did this. I enjoyed it. Well, I don't know if you enjoyed it every day, but I'm sure the first like <laughs> week or so is probably pretty good. But then you also lost weight. Like that's, that's a big F you to everybody that says, you know, you can't do that Correct. and lose weight. Or that ca- like calories aren't what matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I want to get on that subject too, because that's quick tangent though. What is your go-to like fast food meal? Like favorite? Like if you're, yeah. are you yeah. drunk or are you sober? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, honest question. Honest question. It's going to be McDonald's probably regardless. But. You can pick whichever one. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I'm going to have to go through one of two. So I'd say just walking around, I'd probably go into Wendy's and get the spicy chicken sandwich meal, mm. like crispy spicy chicken sandwich sure. is super good Absolutely, uh, with fries and a frosty. Uh, the other one is I just love KFC, like extra crispy. Like really? And, and, oh, I love KFC. Mm. KFC, like fried chicken and pizza are my two favorite foods ever. Dude. And so if like, if I see a KFC immediately, I'm like, oh fuck, I'm going to go to the KFC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I would. KFC is good. I just, I don't know if I've ever had like a really good, I don't know, like, I feel like every time I go to KFC, it's always just like all oil and I can't enjoy it. Maybe KFC is better in New York, but maybe it is. Do you you have Chick-fil-A in New York? Yeah, we do have Chick-fil-A's. I I like their waffle fries. 
Yeah. It's Ooh, pretty yeah. good. Their spicy chicken sandwich, I think, is better than Wendy's, but I don't want to argue. So. <laughs> um, so I have some questions that we reach out to uh, kind of our listeners. And then um, we're both actually, Telly also does coach at across the gym, just a different gym, but we have quite a big community between the two of us. So we reached out and we we're like, if there's any questions that you guys most definitely want us to ask Jordan, let us know. And we got some back. Um, so if you don't mind answering some of those, uh, that would be awesome. But this is one that you're going to probably have a difficult time just like, well, maybe not focusing on one, but what is in your mind, um, the biggest fitness myth? Mm. There's a lot. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. We've done two episodes on them already. I know. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll go sort of a different route. Um, and I'm not going to say like the celery juice or T-tox or detox or any of that stuff. I'm going to go more towards the psychology route and, and sort of the myth that is underlying in most people's psyche that they aren't necessarily objectively aware of. And I think what I'm, what I mean by that is, as soon as someone has a quote unquote bad food, whether it's Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or McDonald's, as soon as they have a bad food, they think they screwed up. And that in my mind, that's a myth. You did not screw up. The only way to screw up is if you quit altogether. So yeah. what'll happen is people will have the, the Big Mac, they'll go to Chick-fil-A, they'll go to KFC, they'll go to whatever. They have the meal or maybe they went to a birthday party or whatever, had a slice of pizza, had a slice of cake. They think they screwed up. Maybe they go out to, to Mexican food on Friday night and they have like chips and salsa and they have several margaritas and they have the quesadillas and they get pissed off. They're like, I ruined all my progress. I ruined everything. So then they go back home and they have a sleeve of bagels and they have some more ice cream. And then they wake up Saturday morning and they're like, oh my God, what did I do? Like I gained five pounds or ruined it all, whatever. I'm just going to like go nuts this weekend and I'll get back on track on Monday. So then they spend all day Saturday and all day Sunday eating and eating and eating and eating and eating because they know on Monday they're going to start restricting themselves again. When the reality is if they knew from the very beginning that they didn't screw up because they went to Mexican food on Friday fucking night and they just enjoyed themselves and got back on track on Saturday, they would have been totally fine. Sure. But they perpetuate this issue by justifying saying fuck it and going off track and eating as much as they can just so they can restrict on Monday. Like that's the biggest problem. Yeah. So for me, it's like no one would tell their best friend if their best friend was like, oh, I went to Mexican food. I had all this food. I had all these drinks. Like, I, I like, what do you think I should do? No one would be like, oh, I think that you should uh, just binge eat the rest of the weekend and then get back on track on Monday. Like, <laughs> Actually, that's the exact advice <laughs> I give Ryan. They'd <laughs> be like, listen, you had fun on Friday night. Like just wake up on Saturday, like get, like get some water in, get some coffee, like maybe go on a walk and get started again. And that's it. Right. But for themselves, they're so hard on themselves. They're their own harshest critic. And it's very easy for them to just be like, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and get back, back on track on Monday. So for me, the biggest myth is in our own head that we justify by thinking like, you know what? I, uh, I fucked up. And that's not true. You're lying yourself. Right. Yeah. It's too bad. People don't take the same approach to their nutrition that I feel like people do with their training, you know, like or some, their jobs yeah. or school yes. or sometimes you else. like take, you do have a light day of training or sometimes you're all the way off, you know, and right. then, but it's not like, because I didn't lift on Friday. Now I'm just going to not lift. Right. Saturday and Sunday. Right. You know what I mean? Or you I have a bad presentation at work and it's like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to quit my job. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or let's say you're driving down the road and you get a flat tire 
are you just going to slash the other three tires because <laughs> right. you have a flat tire or are you going right. to fill that one up with air and then fucking keep going? It's yeah. like, just because you had Mexican food on Friday night does not mean that you should slash the other three tires and just give up the rest of the weekend. Right. Just right. get back on track. Yeah. It's a good analogy. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, another one was how do you approach nutrition for a new client that has absolutely zero knowledge of nutrition in general? It's a great question. So basically for me, I'm going to start with helping them just count calories, mm -hmm. mainly because when you start with counting calories, you are going to just through that process of learning, you're going to learn a tremendous amount about food, right? So some people are going to, Oh, we need to talk about like the vitamins and the minerals and all this. No, you don't No, We need to talk about the Krebs cycle and no, shut the fuck up. No, you don't like, <laughs> You need to know how much you're eating. That's really like the first thing you like, you yeah. need to know how much you're eating. That's data. It. Yeah. And what'll happen before I like, cause everyone knows fruits and vegetables are good for you. Everybody, unless you're like hardcore carnivore and we get the fuck out. It's like, everyone <laughs> okay, knows. Joe Rogan. Fruits and vegetables are super good for you. Protein is good for you. But if you don't know what constitutes a protein, there's a problem, right? So usually what will happen is when people start keeping track of how much they're eating and what they're eating, seeing it in front of their face, just having written it down, they're going to be like, oof, I didn't realize that I had that many M&Ms and that many Doritos and yeah. that many of this, like all in one day. So just by keeping track of it and counting it, all of a sudden, they're going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm eating like an asshole. I needed to change this. Sure. So from there, then they'll start looking into it. They'll, oh, wow. Like I didn't realize there were this many calories in tortilla chips. I had no idea that eight tortilla chips was this many calories. Yeah. Wow. So now you start to learn. Now you can start to learn pot moderation and portion control. You start to learn what's in certain foods. So for me, just start with calories and then from there work towards protein, from there work towards carbs and fats. And by that point, you'll have enough of a, of a knowledge base where you can start to teach yourself other things if you're interested. But if all you know and understand is calories and protein and you can moderate your portion control from there, like you're sure. better off than 95% of people. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause the first, uh, the first post that I liked and saved of yours was the, uh, you were doing infographics at the time. This was a couple of years ago and it was the, meh and great protein sources <laughs> and one we were yeah. just talking about is I, at the high school i could not tell you how many parents and kids tell me that they're eating lots of peanut butter <laughs> so they're getting lots of protein yep and that's yep. one of those things that like if you just got on my fitness pal and you logged and looked at the calories of your pro, your peanut butter you would realize you're not getting almost any protein and that's yeah. just by being aware it's 100%. Like you said, like people will just be better off just by being aware. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause on the container, it says good source of protein with a green yeah. check. <laughs> yeah, cool. okay. I'm having good, but then you actually will. Oh, I had like four grams of protein. That doesn't seem like a lot. That's weird. It's like, yeah. So just literally by being aware of it is the first step. Yeah. Sure. And I like how you approach the nutrition almost like a, like training again, you know, going back to that where counting calories is like your push up, air squat, TRX row, like your basic mm -hmm. push, pull, hinge squat yeah. kind of theory there as well. Yeah, it's exactly right. Um, we have yet, I can't believe we have yet to talk about this. Well, we also usually do this in the beginning of the episode, but what's, uh, like, what's your go-to alcoholic beverage to enjoy? Honestly, probably just some type of a, of a beer. I, uh, if I'm out and I'm going to get an alcoholic drink, like oftentimes like a Moscow mule, like sure. I drink a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy. I like Stella. 
Like, yeah. yeah, sure. It's a good beer. I was gonna say Ryan likes the old bush lights, <laughs> bush latte. Oh, so. dude, you can't beat it. It's like it's camping beer. A though. crisp, cold, refreshing bush yeah. latte. <laughs> We're also obviously bourbon guys, but yeah. Are you a bourbon drinker at all? Uh, not much. I mean, no. I'll have it if it's there, but it's definitely sure. not my go-to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right Do you have any like vice or anything in particular, like fancy that you really enjoy? I mean, watermelon, right? <laughs> Love watermelon. Right? Am I right? <laughs> I think the fanciest thing that I own that I really like is slippers. Oh. Uh, so, and I was never a slipper guy, but my fiance, she started. So I had slippers that were like moldy and old and I never wore them. And she just yeah. threw them out without telling me. And I got super mad. I was like, I wore those all the time. She's like, yeah, I don't want them. And uh, so she got me these new slippers like a year ago and I'm a big slipper guy. So that's like the one big thing. slipper guy. Like, that is, that is the Friday night <laughs> slipper time. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, that's um, but we haven't talked about West side at all. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of good stuff to talk about, but yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, Jordan did train at West side barbell, probably the most famous gym yeah, other than maybe gym. gold's gym in Venice beach. Mm-hmm. I mean, so how did you get that opportunity? What was that like? So basically I was a freshman in college. I had stopped wrestling. Um, and I think it's a very natural transition for wrestlers to go to powerlifting. You just see a lot of like old high school wrestlers going into powerlifting for whatever reason. And, um, I was obsessed with it. And this was in about 2009, 2010. And this is when Westside was really like starting to make a name. I think cause YouTube had come out recently and yeah. Louis was putting videos on YouTube. And I remember watching Louis YouTube videos, just like in a trance, like this guy, yeah, he's amazing. And like, he is, he's incredible, but he has this way about him that is very easy to create a cult like following. And that's what he did. Like sure. he would just talk about the maximal effort net method, dynamic effort method, chains and bands. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy, he's a genius. <laughs> and, um, so I was getting super into powerlifting and I was in college and I hated college. It was just like, I absolutely hated it with all of my heart. Really? Um, and so I just get, got all of my frustration out through lifting. And I remember I, I almost dropped out of college, but I, I wrote Louie an email just being like, listen, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Like, let me just come train there. And, um, he could, the reason I did that actually is because I saw an article, an old article on his website. Someone had basically said, Louie, you can only train heavyweights. Like you only have heavy guys. You couldn't do this with a lightweight. And Louie was like, fuck you. Like, I'm going to get a light guy. I'm going to make him like a world champion. Da, 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 da. And I was like, I'm a light guy. Like I'll do it. So I wrote him. <laughs> it's in me. Game. It's me. And it's literally it's like, me. please put me in coach. Put me in coach. <laughs> and, uh, so I wrote him an email and I didn't expect to hear back. And apparently I must have had my cell phone number in the uh, signature because a couple, oh no, no, sorry. He replied via email. He said verbatim, I still have these emails. For the email he replied to, he goes, our weakest guy squats 800 pounds. What do you have to offer? <laughs> <laughs> a quarter of that would be my answer just, just one one sentence our weakest guy squats 800 pounds what do you have to offer and i remember sitting in my college dorm being like oh man number one i can't believe he replied to me yeah. number two is like i can either be very respectful or very aggressive and i went with very aggressive and i was and i basically wrote i don't give a fuck what your weakest guy does what your strongest guy does i'll come in there and i'll i'll outwork all of you and yeah. damn and I didn't hear back and I thought I ruined it. But uh, I apparently I must have had my cell phone number in the signature because several days later, 
I got a voice message from Louis Simmons and I still have the message saved on my phone this day. Uh, basically it was like, Jordan, it's Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell. Da, 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 I got your email. Let's hop on the phone and talk. So we got on the phone the next day and he spoke for about an hour about Westside and the conjugate system. And yeah. he, he invited me out there for basically a tryout. He's like, we'll see if like you can actually do what you said you were going to do. So I go there with my mom, this like sweet little Jewish woman, like comes out. It's <laughs> like, like, amazing. The only, like probably the only one of like her to ever go into Westside Barbell, just like she had no idea what she was getting into. She had no yeah. idea. People have to understand this isn't like a, a regular gym. Like you don't have a, a membership there. There's not right. like a party. Like you're only there if you're invited. And the only way you're going to know the address is if Louie tells you. So we go into this industrial park. And uh, my mom is like, oh my God, these men walking around are giants. Yeah. Like they're huge tattooed, dan like big dangerous men. And so we yeah. walk in and Louis walks up to me like he's shirtless. He has his squat suit on and his nose is pouring blood down onto his chest. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and, and my mom like looks like she's about to cry. So she leaves. She just walks right out. She's like, I'm going to go wait in the car. And Louis's like, you must be Jordan. And I was like, yep. He was like, all right, like let's go to rack pulls. And I was like, literally walked in like hadn't done anything yet he's like, you wearing like jeans yeah just like i didn't know i was going to start working out but just walk right over he's like all right let's do rack pulls i was like all right like how heavy how many sets and reps and he goes as heavy as possible until it hurts too much and i was like all right <laughs> <laughs> so i did that and then i was like what's next he was like ss bar squats like low bar lo ss bar low box squats i was like how many sets and reps and he goes as heavy as possible until it hurts too much wow. i was like all right what next glute ham raises as, he as heavy as heavy as possible until it hurts too much when did you stop asking the question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more like, coach no more <laughs> two days in a row of that just like the most sore most tired most wrecked i've ever been and at the end of the second day louis was like all right i'll see you over the summer Dang. So I, I left and I went to Bob Evans restaurant with my mom after that. And, uh, <laughs> she was crying and she was like, I don't want you to come here. I know this is a big opportunity, but I don't want you to come. I was like, mom, I'm coming. Like, I can't believe I just got offered this opportunity. Yeah. No kidding. And I trained at Westside for about four months and my total increased by 300 pounds. And, uh, it that's, was a, insane. that's a de decent four month yeah, increase, fine, Jesus. especially for a guy of your size. What were you like? 132? What was it? Like? I walked into Westside weighing 127. That's a that's an insane increase for a guy at that body weight. Like Brandon, it's Brandon insane Lilly. for anybody, but especially at that body weight. Brandon Lilly looked at me and he was like, "You a cross country runner?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just picturing your mom like being that like in that situation with yeah. my mom being like, "Jordan, those monsters are gonna eat you." <laughs> oh yeah, she was so scared. She was so she was like, "I'm petrified. Like these guys can like they can kill you." And I was like, "I know, but." Like, I got to do this. Yeah. I can run faster than them. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cross country runner. Maybe, duh. But, but maybe I can't because these guys are like, yeah. they could cover what I could do in 10 strides in one stride. Yeah. yeah, That's yeah. True. So do you still stay in contact with Louie at all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, Tom, Tom Barry is like, he's, uh, he actually started an internship the same day that I started training at Westside. He's the Irish guy there. He used to do mm -hmm. MMA. Yeah. Uh, him and I talk very frequently. That's uh, awesome. Louis is not a big phone guy. So like he's, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. so occasionally we talk, but mainly with Tom. That's, That's what so I can cool. see a lot of the Westside influence, just not even like, obviously, you know, conjugate necessarily, but like the way you go about doing stuff, I can see that influence and in what you do. Cause Louis is the probably one of the most no bullshit people in the fitness industry. Like he's like, 
you know, 40, so 45 pounds is 45 pounds on the bar, motherfucker. Like that's what you're lifting and, and you can't fake that. Yeah. And we're just going to outwork you do more volume, do more, you know, whatever. And that's how we're going to go about beating you. Yeah. The other thing about Louie and I, I really have to say this because sort of it made him out to be like this scary, big, scary guy. The other, the way that I really try and emulate Louie is to be as kind and generous as possible. I mean, if you really think about it, this guy who's already famous, already very wealthy, gets on the phone with a 21 year old college kid who just told him that he was going to outwork everyone he fucking trains. We're all world <laughs> yeah. champions, by the way. And I go to, I go to Ohio and he lets me train with him 11 times a week. And he takes me out for breakfast every day, lunch every day, pays for every meal. Like I sit with him every day after training. He asks me what I learned. He says, ask me any questions. He paid for my Westside Barbell certification exam, which was several thousand dollars. Like he, he didn't know me from anybody. And you were just, a random, yeah, random kid. Off random the kid, random kid. And literally it was funny because all the lifters there, Brandon and AJ, they were basically like, yeah, you should stay, drop out of college, come and lift. I was ready <laughs> to get a West Side barbell tattoo on my chest. Oh, I was yeah. ready to just like stay there. And Louie was the one who took me aside. He was like, I don't want you staying here. I was, like, I was like, I want you to go back to college. He's like, listen, I'm tatted head to toe. I've been to prison. Like no one's going to let me come speak at college or speak. Like they won't take my advice seriously. He's like, I want you to go back and teach people the right way to lift and he was like that's why you're here he's like so you can go and teach people the right way to do this stuff that is so cool like no one knows this side of louis like it's not really what's put out publicly sure. but he's the most kind generous man i've ever met in my life wow yeah and that's a cool story. it might not even be the necessarily <laughs> persona he wants to get off maybe he wants to keep that a secret you know but that's a man what an incredible uh, you know, lesson to carry on with you in the, in the future. And that, you know, I'm going to try to take that, you know, into the coaching that I do. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to get interns that come from a local college and come work with me and uh, I try to do some of that stuff, but I feel like I could probably do more. Yeah. yeah. Even like you were saying, it was nice that I, I did this podcast because some people won't be on the podcast with you unless you have X number of downloads. It's like, what, I can't get on the fucking phone with these guys for an hour when like Louis spent four months with me every day, multiple yeah. times, like, get out of here. Like get yeah. off your high horse. Like if someone can't sit down and have a conversation with two like-minded individuals, you're out of your fucking mind. Right. Well, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Uh, I got a couple funny ones. We, we tend to joke quite a bit uh, and make fun of each other probably more than we should <laughs> when we're on these things. But I have a, I have a couple funny questions. I'm going to throw you uh, a couple curveballs. Um, let's start kind of light. What's your guilty pleasure other than slippers, obviously? Uh, we'll call it pizza. Pizza? Yeah, pizza. Favorite I, pizza. Top in. Pepperoni pizza. Just like, classic. What's the best trust. place in New York? There's a lot. There's a lot of really good places. Oh, I can only imagine. My old apartment right where I proposed, there were three places right around it that were all the best places I've ever been to. So Joe's Pizza, very famous. It's actually like where the Spider-Man movie was filmed. Sure. So mm -hmm. Joe's Pizza, Bleecker Street Pizza, and then John's of Bleecker are all within like a 100 foot radius of each other. And those Jeez. three are my favorite places. Wow. Um, this one's kind of funny. <laughs> if peanut butter wasn't called peanut butter, what would it be called? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer it. It's fine. Nut cream. Nut cream. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That was good. Uh, tell you, you have one. We usually have a couple that we end podcasts with, but 
I also want to learn kind of about Gary Vee yeah, and okay. how you met how you met that dude. We could yeah. do like 30 episodes and I feel like <laughs> we wouldn't cover all the good stuff. Um, yes. We did cover nut cream though. So let's just make sure that we check the box. Yeah, is that going to be your first like big health product? Because like right now you're not selling like your line of supplements. Why not Cyat nut cream? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so how did we, how, how did, how did you, how did you meet Gary? And then how did, like, where did that relationship stem from? So I think you guys will like this story. So basically I started making content in July of 2011, actually when I was training at Westside, uh, one of, one of the guys who was my mentor at that time, JC Dean was like, dude, are, are you at Westside Barbell? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, we need to get you a fucking website so you can write about this stuff. And I was like, I don't know how to make a website. So he made me a website, but it's casually made me like a, got me a WordPress, transferred it over to my name. And he was like, start writing. And I was like, about what? What do you want me to write? He's like, just write helpful information. That's gonna, it's gonna help people, write good content that helps people. So I had no idea what to do, but one time a week, every single week I was releasing a new article. At that time, a lot of the stuff about the conjugate method, but then it turned into just regular strength training and nutrition and mindset. I did that once a week, every single week. And I would say for the first year and a half, I had about 20 people reading my articles, 10 of which were my mom. Uh, (laughs) My mom shares our podcast. Don's listening right now. (laughs) And uh, that's just the truth. And I say a year and a half, like a year and a half of every single week. And you don't write an article in a few hours. Like an article takes... 12, 15, 20 hours to write just based on the research, coming up with the content idea, researching it, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I was, and I had no idea an online business was possible at this time. Like online coaching wasn't really a thing. I was just writing content to help people. That was it. And um, in 2012, I wrote an article that was to date one of my least favorite, least popular, least read articles ever. It was three ways to have better posture if you work at a desk. Just like no one liked that article. People tend to not be huge on the posture stuff. Like they're like, whatever, just tell me how to fucking get a six pack. So like, um, it didn't do that well, but one person who is this guy who is an accountant in the Midwest, uh, happened to read the article and he left a comment on, on the article and I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was, but I replied to the comment and I answered the question that he had and that was it. I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I didn't hear from him again. That was it. Turns out that that accountant in the Midwest, several years later, would move to New York City, become a personal trainer and a change of career. He ended up meeting Gary through that change of career, and he became Gary's personal trainer. And his name is Mike Vacanti. He's one of my best friends in the world. He actually lives like right across the street now. And um, he had a two-year deal with Gary Vaynerchuk. And at the end of his two years, Gary was like, Mike, who's going to coach me next? And he was like, I think I know a guy. Now, the reason he thought of me is number one, because of the article I wrote in 2012. Number two, because I replied to his comment and answered his question. And number three is because it was posture related and Gary had a lot of postural issues and a lot of pain in his back and hips and knees and neck. So he reached out to me and I was living in Israel at the time. And he was like, Hey man, do you want to coach Gary Vaynerchuk? And I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, (laughs) that's not real. And he was like, no, really? So I was living in Tel Aviv. So I flew from Tel Aviv to New York for 36 hours. I coached Gary for an hour flew back to Tel Aviv. I didn't tell anybody that I did it. No I was way. just like, there's, I couldn't believe this is even real. And six weeks later, I get a text message from an unknown number. Just like, I've never spoken to you before. Just being like, are you ready? And I was like, who the fuck is this? 
And then Gary sent me a picture of himself. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm yeah. so and then I moved to New York about a week later and that's how it all started. But I like that story because number one, it's very much Gary's thesis that like, you never know what piece of content is going to change your life forever. Yeah. yeah. But also it's like, be kind to people, answer their comments, answer their questions. Like it doesn't matter if you have one person or a thousand people, like always be kind, always interact. And you never know, like this piece of content to date, very few people have ever read that article. It's yeah. not a really great article, but the right person at the right time happened to read it, leave a comment. And I replied and that was that. Nice, what an man. awesome message. Yeah, that's too. incredible. Like literally hits home yeah. because we we're, we're not struggling with the idea of like, man, how do we get more followers or how do we get more people to listen to this? Or, you know, are we putting out content that, you know, people are even liking? Um, and to know that you wrote something every week for a year and a half before anything really started taking off, uh, kind of puts it into perspective that, we, you know, we really haven't been doing this that long and we're still getting better each podcast. Obviously we're getting different interviews and, uh, and different names and, and whatnot, but man, just keep chugging along. Like, and you, like you never know who's going to listen or who's going to read, like you said, or what right. connection or relationship you're going to create out of something random. And the thing is about, and this is for strength training, for nutrition, for business content creation. It takes a lot of work to create one piece of content, mm -hmm. a lot of work, but it's going to take many years before any of that content starts to be seen by people. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy for people to be get down on themselves because like, Oh, we're putting in so much work, but no one's finding our stuff. And it's like, Oh, it's just not working. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's working. You're just being fucking impatient. Yeah. It takes a long time. It takes a very, very, very long time. It took me a year and a half before, before I started to get any traction. And then it's not like you just get a little traction and boom, you explode. Right. From 2011, to, from July 2011 to 2015, I wrote at least one article a week every week. And that's bare minimum. That was only for my website. Crazy. That wasn't for guest articles that I started to get. That wasn't for Facebook posts or Instagram posts. It was at least one article a week every week, not to mention studying copywriting and sales. And I hired four different business coaches before I found one that was actually good. I spent thousands of dollars on business coaches before I found one that actually helped me. Like, you know, it's, there's so much that you go through that no one will see. Like, it's like, yeah. no one, will, people find me now. They're like, oh yeah, like you're an Instagram coach. I'm like, if you only fucking knew, like, right. yeah, right. like the amount of years and time, like I built my business before Instagram ever existed is people just don't know that. Yeah. yeah. And people probably it. also assume like, oh, he trained Gary V cause his dad knew Gary V or <laughs> right. you know, his, his dad worked for Gary V's company or you know whatever. whatever like it was like yeah. handed to you and it wasn't because of what you you know the work you had laid before that correct that's right yeah that's interesting um, and i can tell well, you guys are, are good at what you do and you enjoy <laughs> what you do what i just really want to make sure that you don't let the grind and the slow growth discourage you yeah. Like, yeah it's it's so easy to just be like ah man this isn't growing like i thought it would and it's right. like if you, it would be like your client being like, man, I've been working out really hard for like three months and I still don't look like, you yeah. know, Kai Green. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, 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 and that's, that's exactly, that's how ridiculous it is. It's like, yeah. it's years. It, yeah. I would say from what I've seen with myself and many other people, 
five years of relentless consistency before you start to see like a big shift. Sure. Five, five years. Yeah. So buckle up. Yeah. And that can be related to a lot of things. Like, I mean, if you look at, you know, when we started, let's just say training together five years ago, like we wanted that instantaneous growth or, uh, or PRs or, you know, qualifications to a competition. Or and now abs. it's like, finally, <laughs> yeah, five, six years later, we're finally competing at stages that we had dreamed about back then. And yeah. it just, it really does take, uh, that's a really good, uh, I guess, number to put in your head too, because nothing's going to, nothing that is worth, you know, working hard for is going to come very easy. Yeah. I, and I actually really love on your, we did, of course, a deep dive stalking of your social media and I got all the way back to your very first Instagram post. And You're I think, creep, dude. I think most of shut up. <laughs> I want to be like, uh, what's that guy's name on YouTube? I can't even think of his name. The guy that interviews rappers and like talks about like their middle school. Why can't I think of his name? Do you know? How, oh, it's Nardwart. Do you not know who I'm talking about? No, no, no. You got to look up Nardwart. So he'll like interview uh, like Lil Wayne uh-huh. and we'll talk about like what his favorite thing to order in middle school from the cafeteria. <laughs> he like knows everything really? and it like blows people's minds. So, so I what do you be, know all about Jordan? Well, I know that his early Instagram posts have like no likes on them at all. Yep. And I bet half of them are from when you got a lot of followers and then they're like bot followers going in and like liking half your stuff as well. Man, I, I, rem- I remember the first post I ever had that got a hundred likes. And I was, I was like, oh my God, it got a hundred likes. I remember, I vividly remember this because I used to live in Boston and like that's where like I started coaching. Sure. Uh, there was a, a personal trainer in Boston. It was 2014. He reached out to me and he said, Hey man, I've noticed that you've, that you got a hundred likes on your most recent Facebook posts. Like I always knew you were going to make it one day. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Swear to God. And I was like, man, that was, his name was Matthew. I was like, man, Matthew, that was super nice of you. Thanks. Like I used to think like a hundred likes was unbelievable. Yeah. I, and I got so excited on the first post that was a hundred likes. Uh, the vast majority had like 19, 25 likes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's just that that was for years. Yeah, for years. That's just how it was. Um, and 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 we can kind of wrap this up here soon. I do want to ask just briefly because this is obviously what you're really into right now. But you you just recently competed in a jujitsu tournament. Yep, yep. How did that go? What was what was that experience like? Was it did it bring you back to wrestling? Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I I didn't do as well as I wanted to, so I won my first match. I did very well in my first match. Uh, second match, I I took the guy down. That's probably my biggest advantage coming from wrestling is like my stand up's pretty good, and um, so I took the guy down, scored two points. Then uh, we stood back up. I went to take him down again with a fireman's carry, which is one of my favorite takedowns in wrestling, but not that good for jujitsu just because you yeah. leave your arm exposed, which. I wasn't really aware of, but I learned from it. So I took <laughs> yeah. down, left an arm exposed. He got me in an arm bar. Uh, that guy, he, he went on, he, in the finals, he was winning. I was the only one who scored points on him the whole day. So no one else oh, scored man. points on him. And he was disqualified in the final match because he, he did an illegal move. He was reaping the knee. Um, and so it's just like a, he put the, the leg in a very dangerous position. So yeah, he was going to win, but he got disqualified with 16 seconds left. Wow. Uh, I felt bad for him because he was a, he's a really nice guy, just very talented. Um, so I'm not happy with how uh, the results turned out because I obviously wanted to win, yeah, but I'm yeah. very happy with that I did it. 
that I, so basically I, I got some really good advice from a jujitsu athlete. His name's Jake Watson. He was like, don't have expectations. He was like, set standards for what you must do in each match. He was like, you need to know as long as you hit these standards, then you did your best because you never know what's going to happen. You can't just say, all right, well, I'm going to win the whole thing. It's a, sort of like, well, yeah, I'm just going to have like a six pack. It's like, well, hold on. Just yeah. set a standard to help you get the six pack rather than just wanting the result. Sure. So for me, like I wanted to score first on each of my opponents. I wanted to take them all down, which I did. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I learned from it. So I filmed the matches and I, I learned exactly the mistake that I made. I'm not going to make it again. And uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty good outcome. That's awesome. Nice. Did you uh, get started in gi jiu-jitsu or no gi? Because yeah. I know a lot of wrestlers, like on my end, it was no gi jiu-jitsu. Isn't much easier transition. So. so I initially thought that I wanted to do no gi. I didn't want any part in the gi just because someone choked me out with my gi and I said, fuck this. <laughs> Dude, it sucks. No yeah. The gi is like going from like, no gi is like doing regular chess. Sure. Like it's still very complicated. Once you add the gi, it's like doing 3D chess. That's a really good way to put it. So much more really? that you can do when the gi is on than when you don't have a gi. Sure. We're not the, talking about butter, right? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to. I had to. I actually really like training with the gi now. I the, with no gi and just wrestling, it's it's very fast paced, very 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 fast paced. I think it's it's way more explosive, way faster. The gi forces you to slow down a little bit because you can get the grips on the gi and, and you can grab the other. Per it's basically grabbing the other person's clothing. Yeah. And so yeah. Not as like crazy explosive, which as a beginner I like just because I can get to certain positions and I can think. Yeah. I don't have to constantly be on the run. I don't have to worry about being outrageously explosive. Uh, and it's, I mean, I'll get to positions. I, it's gotten better over the last year, year and a half. I've been doing jujitsu now, but I remember when I first started, cause I had the wrestling experience, it was relatively easy for me to take someone down or control them, but I would get to positions and I'd be like, I don't know what to do. Like I'd be, I don't, I don't know what submission to do. I don't yeah. know what next. I would literally be in the middle of a fight and be like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's a very like scary thought to have like you're yeah. i don't know i don't know what to do right now yeah and so i'd be like cool i did the sweep right like got this person's position but like what now and it's literally after about like a year year and a half i'm just starting to get to the point where i'm like all right here's my option here here's my option here here's my option here yeah. if this doesn't work here's what i can do here i literally within the last couple of weeks i just got to the point where i realized oh if I pretend to do this, then his reaction is going to be this. Yeah. And yeah. This. And this is like, it's such high level thinking. And I'm still like, I'm, I'm a white belt. I'm super beginner. I know basically next to nothing, but this is one of the reasons I love jujitsu almost more than wrestling now is because wrestling, I feel like is very brute strength driven and very conditioning driven, very mentally driven jujitsu. I feel like is much more, thought driven sure. there's so many more possibilities and you can be not as strong and not as conditioned but if you're technically more sound you have a really great chance of winning yeah sure. it literally is just like chess yeah it's it's like yeah like I said, i've done it like three times and i <laughs> have no clue what i'm doing but it's always very humbling too yeah right yeah. You, you think you're super fit and i'm very well conditioned and then a girl that weighs 65 pounds you know makes me tap within 15 seconds i'm like it's what crazy the fuck is going on yeah. Um, it's a, and it's a, yeah, it's definitely super humbling. Even when among white belts, you might think you're doing great. And then you go roll with like a brown belt or a black belt. And it's literally just like, you're dying for like five minutes. straight. <laughs> it's awful. And especially I think going into it as a wrestler, I was like, ah, it's going to be easy. Like yeah. I'm going to do this stuff. 
I think one of the most demoralizing, I remember vividly, I think the most demoralizing experience of my life and humbling, it, it would turn out to be a positive, but at the beginning, I go in as a wrestler. I was like, I wrestled my whole life. I have no issues whatsoever. I go up against like a purple belt and I can't move. Yeah. <laughs> I literally can't move. Not to mention in wrestling, when you get someone in, in jujitsu side control, usually you're fully sprawled out. Legs are really long behind you. Like basically just to try and you want to pin them. The goal is to pin them. In jujitsu, you don't, the goal isn't to pin them necessarily. The goal is to establish control and then submit them. Mm-hmm. So the way that they hold you is different. And it's like, these guys are holding me in a way that in wrestling wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I'm like I should be able to just hit, hit thrust out of this. I should be able to like roll you over. But I remember this, this blue belt was sitting on top of me, holding me inside control. And he was like, you gotta, you gotta try and get out of here. And I was like, bro, I can't fucking move. <laughs> like, I was so demoralized. I was like, this was not in my concept of reality that this would happen. That's yeah. wild. That's what my, the most humbling moment of my entire life was when I went to a jujitsu class and I, before I even got to find a partner, when we started rolling, this brown belt guy grabbed me by the gi. He was like, let's go. <laughs> and in the first minute he established full mount and then grapevine my legs and essentially made me tap only by crushing my diaphragm. <laughs> and it was definitely like, I was like, if I met this guy on the street, he would actually kill me. Yeah. Like I would be dead. So, all right. Well, before we wrap it up, I did think of my fun question, which was another thing that when I first saw your content was you were doing a lot of the Harry Potter, like workout, like Salazar Slytherin and that kind of stuff. So my question was, it, well, first of all, are you a big Harry Potter fan? Of course. Yeah. Huge, huge Harry Potter. I, I figured, um, what house would you be in? I've, I always like to think I'm in Gryffindor. I, I like Gryffindor a lot. I like, I like what they stand for. I like the idea of like, not just courage, but mainly standing up for other people who might not be able to stand up for themselves. That's like the one characteristic of Gryffindor that I've consistently seen that I really like. There you go. Yeah. I like it a lot. Well, I can't thank you. We can't thank you enough for hopping on. It was awesome. Awesome. Awesome to meet you. Um, You are literally the exact same person as you are in all of your Instagram videos. And that just, it shows the transparency and shows how real of a person you are. Um, so from, from us, uh, to you, thank you so much for, for joining on and, uh, and, and talking with us for an hour or so. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This was great. Really. Thank you so much. We yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I guess before we sign off though, is there anything that you're promoting or anything that you wanted to plug before we sign off? Don't buy anything from me. Okay. <laughs> Don't buy anything. Thumbs if you up. want to go look at my content, great. But don't buy anything until you at least look at my free content first. Sure. All right. Uh, you are the anti What did you say? Anti influencer. <laughs> I fucking love it. I like it. Thanks, yeah. man. That's it for this week's episode. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting the show. And if you're getting value out of this content, please share it with other people who you think would get value out of it as well. <laughs>